And welcome back. We are here at Tabletop and Beyond. It is the Winning War Cry segment. Dan, welcome to the show. Jason, welcome to the show. You're here. Yeah, good to be here. How's it going? You know, this might be one of my favorite you know, parts of the month, Dan, is having you on the show with us because we always end up having great conversations. Aww. <laughs> you know, I see you. I see you put out a whole bunch of stuff on your show, right? Like you've got tons of analysis, and then I'm like, oh man, we, I can't wait to talk about that when we sit down and do the podcast. So, um, yeah. it's uh, it's always a good time. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. We have a lot. We do, and from the title that uh, folks have clicked on, you can see that we're going to be talking about events today because I think we've reached an interesting time in Warcry where. We're looking at the game's expansion, right? Where um, it was kind of a niche thing for a really long time. The pandemic kind of kept it as a niche thing. But as soon as they came out with Warcry 2.0 and I think critically made the uh, compendium and the core rules essentially free online, Mm -hmm. you opened up a, a much wider gaming base for this game. And the appetite for competitive Warcry seems to be growing quite a bit. And uh, we have uh, quite a few events that we can talk about. Dan, you had one just this last weekend, I think, right? Yep. Yep. So did we here in the Northern Virginia area. And I think they had one in Texas. And maybe I think you mentioned about one in Norway like two weeks ago or something like that. Yep. Yep. A few weeks ago. Yeah, so um, obviously we are all kind of prepping for the big tournament at Adepticon, so it's not a surprise that you tend to see a big flurry of activity in events, but this time a year ago, like, we were lucky to have one event in, like, three months, you know, let alone two on the same weekend and two big ones, too, right? The relatively big local ones. Well, I remember before Adepticon, I don't think there were any events. And then we had right. maybe three or four over that summer after Adepticon before 2.0. Yep. Um, yeah, and now we're having them, you know, three or four a month, it seems like. And it seems like it's really just accelerating, at least the last, ever since Christmas, of, you know, through January, where there were a ton. And then this month, there are a ton. So really cool. Yeah. Uh, I will say... And uh, I got to give kind of a little bit of a shout out to some of our uh, new friends that we met at our event this last weekend. I was playing across um, one of the guys and I said, hey, by the way, we have a podcast named Tabletop Beyond. And he said, you're those guys. (laughs) So it was like, wow, like, yeah, that's uh, that's us, you know, like uh, kind of one of those recognition moments. So, um, you know, a lot of people started subscribing to the show. They jumped in our discord. And, um, you know, we've got like quite a burgeoning community happening in our in our discord and and locally as well. So if anybody is interested in the uh, joining us on our discord and chatting Warcry or RPGs or movies and games and things like that, we kind of do a wide, wide, wide swath of topics that are usually very geeky. Um, You can click on the link below in the disc uh, to get into the discord chat and um, talk about that. So. We'd love to have you. Uh, in fact, I think I bounced around from miniatures today to talking about Dune movies, to talking about Warcry, to talking about 3D printing. Like it was just, you know, a lot of fun. So mm-hmm. uh, good community. Yeah. Good community. All right. So uh, let's get this show off right. Jason, what's on your hobby table right now? Well, I've got um, a monkey 
on my hobby table now. Nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now that uh, I, you know, I played the, my list in our tournament, which we'll, you know, we'll talk about that. But um, I had the box for the uh, what is it? Uh, what's his name's Buccaneers? I don't remember the first. What's the first part of that box? Something's Buccaneers. Anyways, it's the ogre. It's the ogre pirate box, and there's a monkey in there, and that monkey is like a super nobbler, right? He's yeah. he's kind of got like one. I think he's got one extra attack, but he's got and one extra movement uh, for like uh, I think for ten more points. And I had the points, so I'm gonna squeeze them in. So now I got a now. I thought I was done. You always think you're done, right? <laughs> you always yep. think you're done, and now I gotta gotta get a little monkey going. But actually, that's he, it. So I don't really have a lot on my table, and that that I should be able to knock out in probably a, a day. He gets that extra attack from the knife in his tail. That's why. <laughs> there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Uh but uh yeah, I I don't know. I thought I would I I did a lot right up to the cuz you're always scrambling when you get to a tournament to kind of put those finishing touches on and and uh so I actually got a lot done. So I don't really have a lot on my table right now. Now it's just about doing that and getting ready to pack up for Adepticon. Nice. You are way ahead of me, sir. Way ahead of me. <laughs> Dan, how about you? Uh, you talked about last time doing a whole bunch of Stormcast Eternals because you had that little tiny warm period where you were able to prime, and I think it's back to the frigid north with you, right? Uh, yeah, it's starting to warm up now. Like I could have primed today if I wanted to, but um, yeah, it's I got all my Stormcast done uh, a little bit ago, but not with enough time to do any Lumineth Realm Lords. I was going to do Lumineth for the narrative tournament at Adepticon, but there's no time at this point. I'm, I just finished all of the Stormcasts I needed to paint uh, like three or four days ago. And so um, looking around and I was like, well, a week and a half is just not enough to paint an entire Warcry Warband full of, full of elves that like take a long time. You can't just kind of rush job your elves. You have to, uh, you have to like hit the trim on them and stuff like that. So uh, I threw in the towel for those, but finished everything else I needed to do. And so I'm happy with that. Nice. Very good. Very good. Um, any any last minute things before you go to Adepticon, or you just? Well, I good? had been painting a. So I had been actually incredibly uh, sort of indecisive about what what I wanted to take to the competitive Adepticon tournament, and then the Nurgle themed Varengard I was painting. It was a third party resin three D cat or not 3D printed, it was actually just a resin cast, mm -hmm. and it basically shattered in my hands the other day, uh, oh, as no. certain resin casts are prone to do. Um, it just had like these really elaborate antlers on the demon horse, um, which were really cool, and, and made it feel like a Nurgle Varengard more than just a, a regular one. I know one of the normal Varengards has a Nurgle head with, with antlers like that, so this was sort of that turned up to 11, but uh, the antler is just kind of shattered because, mm. you know, tiny little resin pieces yeah. are just no good. Like, I find uh, big monsters made out of resin have been great for me. Like, I have a resin bloodthirster uh, that has been amazing and has never had any fragility problems at all. But the little ones can be pretty rough. So that was too bad. But it did 
knock out one of the four lists I was planning on taking to the <laughs> competitive tournament. So now I only have to decide between three. So that's great. Process of elimination, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, unfortunately, I fell a little ill last last uh, month. As uh, we mentioned on our last episode, I ended up coming down with a case of shingles, which yeah. like was crazy uh, painful. And it made it so I literally couldn't sit in this seat and hobby for about a month. Wow. And I had plans to paint my bone splitters for Adepticon. I had plans to finish up painting some Iron Jaws allies. I had plans to paint the Dark Oath Savagers for the narrative. I had plans. I mean, like, I had plans, right? And, like, yeah. they weren't unrealistic ones. Like, I knew I could have done it. But not hobbying for about five weeks, period, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. really put me behind the, you know, behind the curve. So yeah. um, I've got, like, a box of bone, bone splitters that I've got, like, base coats on. And I just am like, okay, I just need to focus on my war band so I can have it done before next week, yeah, you know, yeah. and then um, and then just paint the rest of them later. And I think for the narrative, um, I think I'm going to take my Rottmeyer Creed and just my box Rottmeyer Creed and maybe like an ally that I can ally in later on, you know, yeah. or something like that. So because um, those are all painted and ready to go. And I'm also playing Frostgrave on Saturday. So I think I'm going to use my Rottmeyer Creed as my Frostgrave Warband because that's a model agnostic system. Sure. Um, and so you can kind of, as long as they're on a 25 and th or 32 mil base, I, they could actually be on bigger, but that's generally the preferred size because of the way the boards are. Um, as, you know, as long as they're there, then you can use any kind of models that you want. And my Rottmeyer Creed are all done and they look really good. So... And no, your I leader figured. is supposed to look wizardy in that game, yeah. right? Mm, and the yeah. Rottmeyer leader absolutely looks like a wizard, so that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So, and and the rest kind of look like minions. Some are beefed up more than others, but you know, like I think they're going to be great. So, um, so I just had to really pare down my hobby table, and you know, um, I'm hoping that I can get the bone splitters to a quality that I like, that I'm happy with when I take it to Adepticon, so I don't look like silly next to Darcy Bono. You know, I mean, we're all going to look silly next to Darcy Bono, but yeah, you know, but uh, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, my hobby table's just been uh, playing a lot of catch up. And it's kind of hilarious because I've got models everywhere right now. And like my my process just kind of shattered. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, all it's right. good times. It's good times. So, yeah, I mean, uh, good times uh, doing all that stuff. Um, in the way of news, Warcry news. I don't know that we have um, a ton of news. Uh, one thing that stood out to me, and I kind of mentioned this to you guys before, the big Warhammer Adepticon preview preview came out like two days ago, and it kind of listed all of the things that they were going to talk about. You know, 40K, Age of Sigmar, Necromunda, Horus Heresy. They have all these things that they're going to preview. One thing that definitely was not on the list was Warcry. And um, I guess that's to be kind of expected since we literally just got the, the Blood Hunt box and yep. it, I mean, it just dropped. So we're not, I don't think we're expecting another preview probably until, is the, is the, I can't remember, is the London GT in June? There's an event in June that they, that they usually will preview. So there's a Warhammer Fest in April. 
that is probably where they'll preview our okay. May box because we know we're getting a box in May. Yeah. Because um, they announced, I guess, you know, the schedule and yeah. it'll be May. But uh, I assume that the April Warhammer Fest is when we'll get that yeah, news about that box because yep. because that's in April and then transition one month of uh, yep. lead time. But I mean, who knows? You know, anything yeah. could happen and. GW is having all these issues with their supply chain that we don't need to get too far into, but it just means, yeah. you know, you just don't know when things are going to happen with them. Right. Right. Um, I, I, I do just want to kind of say that, uh, you know, I was a little bit skeptical of their quarterly release boxes because that seemed to work well with kill team. That is maybe a little bit more popular because there's a lot more people that play 40 K. Yeah. I was a little concerned about Warcry doing it, but, um, it seems to be working out. I mean, I haven't heard a lot of complaints, and some people are like, well, I don't want to get this box, so I'm just going to wait and see the next one. But I think there's still plenty of people that are buying it. Um, I've heard people like, oh, like the sales aren't going well for it, but that doesn't seem to be my impression at all. Did I we think, have uh, any Jade or Skinks at our uh, at our tournament? We did not. Hmm. I've had two yeah. Jade Obelisks show up. Oh. Um and that's it. Oh, and then this weekend we had some Astrogan True Blades. Uh, the oh, yeah. uh, people are calling them Wu Fang. I wish I I wish I thought of that. I can't believe I did. Wu Fang. That's Wu-Fang. so awesome. Um, I don't know if it's a little bit. Anyway, it's <laughs> it's funny. And they showed up, went two and two at my tournament. So that's cool. I mean, that's you know that's great. And it was just one box, just yeah. the regular one box build of them. Uh, going two and two and so yeah you you love to see that and maybe a more kind of tuned version might be able to do even better yeah we had one in our um tournament as well and and i can't wait to talk about it because he was kind of bringing it just to say like we're gonna see how they do you know okay and and so it was interesting um and he was a pretty good player he was at the nova open last year anyway we'll get into that but um, okay. So it was in the he was being piloted by a pretty good player is what I'm saying and so um, I think we could get some good good inference of like how well they can be you know yeah. so um, yeah uh, otherwise oh one thing that we did want to talk about uh, Dan and Jason is this kind of white dwarf creep that's sort of happening with narrative war cry we're starting to see some. Uh, we're starting to see some allegiance abilities sort of pop up that you can use in your narrative play. Now, the, it says specifically narrative, right? So match play and open play, which includes tournaments, you're not going to be able to use those abilities, but um, you can now start using them in narrative. How do you guys feel about that? Jason, you go first. I'm excited. I think we're going to disagree, so I'm excited about this. <laughs> Uh, are you asking the question, how do you feel about being able to use those abilities in narrative play specifically? Uh, how do you feel about Allegiance abilities in yeah. Warcry? All right. I was trying not to, I was trying not to prepare myself to get on a soapbox, but uh, so I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no problem there. I think narrative is whatever you want to do. That's the fun behind narrative is like, mm-hmm. it does, it's not really about the competitive win. It's about telling a fun story and playing games and, and just seeing what happens with the evolution of the thing. So throw a bunch of cool, weird candy stuff into the game and just have a good time. Uh, when it comes to competitive play, 
one of the things I've loved about Warcry is that I can play Warcry with a with a single eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper that has my stats on it, or actually two that has my stats on it, and one that has my main abilities, uh, you know, my doubles, my triples, my quads for my for my faction, and that's it. Like, and that's all. I mean, I when I move from table to table, I put I put my tiny little bits of miniatures in a little box, and I go to the next table and I get them back out, and I have a single sheet of paper with my pencil next to me when i play aos i have like three books (laughs) and i've got bookmarks and sticky notes and post-its and i'm still trying to find the stuff you know to do and you know and there's always those players that are like awesome right that just that don't never crack their book open unless you ask them wait what does that mean then they'll open the book it's right here you know but (laughs) so i'm I get a little worried when I see us adding additional stuff that requires additional reference material that you have to bring with you to play the game. It, Cause I, I like the concept of a skirmish game being something that you can come to the table with a very small amount of, mat- uh, of um, um, augmenting materials to play the game with. So that's my thought. Uh, we'll see, I, you know, a tiny little box with allegiance abilities. No problem. If it's, if it becomes a supplement, that I have to carry with me to play that warband, then then I start to get concerned. Your thoughts, Dan? Yeah, we don't actually disagree that much then. Um, okay. <laughs> because <laughs> cause I agree, I don't want, like, even the White Dwarf bringing in various Bladeborn fighters, I wish those could just be all in one Tome of Champions. Um, I would much rather have White Dwarf than nothing, though, so I don't complain about it, right? Uh but with these allegiance abilities, I more see them as, is this a dry run for Warcry 3.0? Is this a right. rough draft? Hmm. And so I really want to encourage people, if you have any IDK minis, if you have any Gloom Spike Gits minis, try try them out with this. Like Try a couple narrative games with these rules um, mm-hmm. and then email email them. Like email the FAQ email, they will never respond to you, but they will read it. Uh, that is something that we've kind of learned and confirmed mm-hmm. with them. They do not respond, but they do read everything you send them. So um, I just want people to try them out because just the fact that they didn't do just do it once, they did it twice. Uh, when we only had one of these, it was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's fun. I think they did the IDK one first. It was like, right. oh, sweet. And then they just came out with the gloom spite and it's like two, you start to see like two points start to plot a line, you know? And so um, if these are them making plans for allegiance abilities, um, I just want people to try them and, you know, send and send GW your, your insight. I agree with you. I would hate to see like, more and more books for this but if this turned out to be a little bit like the ga books from first edition i prefer our current system of just having one compendium to the grand alliance books Mm -hmm. uh but if it went back to the grand alliance books system i wouldn't be like super worried about that and and there was a lot of extra room in those books to do that um but i agree with you it would be a total disaster if it was like each faction had a pamphlet. That would be awful. I definitely agree with you on that front. That would that would absolutely kill the game. 
if you had to go by, you know, even if it's a $10 pamphlet per faction, like nobody's going to no spend good. that, you yeah. know, nobody would spend that kind of money. The, um, I, I got, I got a little, so first off I was like, oh yeah, totally. Jason, totally. I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. You want to do this with narrative, like have at it. It's tons of fun. You and your buddies, you know, one plays IDK, one plays Gloomswipe gets, and you guys just get to see what happens. Cool. Fun. I got a little more concerned though, Dan, when you mentioned that this could be a dry one for 3.0, right? And that's I why think, I want people to try them. You yeah, know? yeah. And and I I worry that um, we've we're, you there might be some bloat that may be happening because of that, right? And if you think about the beauty of Warcry, you roll your priority dice, you choose your, you know, you get your things, and then you figure out what kind of abilities you want. People yep. already struggle balancing their abilities, right? Mm -hmm. There's usually like mm -hmm. six to eight abilities that you can use, sometimes 12, depending on the faction. And then you, then we added a reaction, you know, that you can use. And, you know, you got your universal abilities, you got your universal reactions, you got your faction reaction, you got your faction abilities. And, you know, like we say, if you want to play Warcry really well, pick two or three abilities that you're going to use and build your list around it because there's just so many options, right? You start adding faction abilities on top of that, like now now you're starting to see this skirmish game become an AOS light, and that worries me. I don't want this game to be a akin to a 500-point AOS game, you know, because I, I, I don't think it's good there. Like, I don't think AOS is good at 500 points. I don't think that... Um, Warcry would be good to take that place either, right? Like, keep that simplicity because that simplicity is what makes this game really good because it allows the strategy to shine as you play the game, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, go ahead, oh, Dan. go on, Jason. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that um, I want to augment something I said earlier, right? One of the, one of the beauties of Warcry is that you can come to the table with a small amount of resources to play the game, mm -hmm. which means that you can focus on the tactics of the actual game versus the rules to allow you to do well in the game. Yeah. But that goes on the other side too. One of the things I always struggle with in AOS was uh, I didn't, my full-time job was not memorizing every single yeah. faction's book to know what all the possible things they could potentially bring against me at the table was right in Warcry. Right before the game starts, right before we shake hands and say, "Hey, let's have a fun time," I can just say, "Hey, tell me about your uh, your your big guys. What's their main ability?" Okay, cool, got it. And then you can play the game. Like it takes thirty seconds to look at your opponent and have them just really quickly tell you the this is their ability sheet, this is their profile, and you can play the game and you can focus on the chess game that happens on the board. Uh, versus having to memorize all of the potential spells and combinations and, and all the things that could, I could beef that guy up with that guy, which might capitalize on this. And then, you know, it's just, so it, it's simple on both sides. It's simple on my ability to play. And it's simple on my ability to understand what I'm playing against right now without having to go do a bunch of homework to memorize. And if you start adding in faction abilities yeah. and abilities on top of abilities and things that could capitalize and things that could compound, then, then it it just it becomes a lot more intense from a brain perspective. And I agree with that. I think one thing that I have an issue with sometimes in Warcry is that some factions just feel the same. 
as each other. Yeah. We'll get into this later. That's true. But every dwarf, like Fire Slayers and Dispossessed, if you play uh, Cities of Sigmar, but for the dwarves, Fire Slayers and Dispossessed are the same faction. It's just mm -hmm. one is naked and the other is not, but they actually have basically <laughs> the same stats, right? Yeah. It's just yeah. like, do you want your dwarves to be Lord of the Rings themed or do you want That's them to point. be naked fire themed? Um, and so I think if we're going to drill down into the actual allegiance abilities they gave us, they're too complicated, right? Uh, the Gloom Spike gets one is like you roll a dice and three of the possible faces on the dice massively favor you two really screw you over and then one is like just kind of a, a twist that doesn't really favor either player mm -hmm. uh <laughs> that is way too much right but if the faction abilities let's say there was like two of them and you choose one of the two and it's each one is like the size of a you know it's the it's a blurb the size of a reaction mm -hmm. you know something like that you could have something like that that wouldn't really add to the bloat if it could fit on that same piece of paper, right? Uh, like that same just box table. Like, like for would... example, a Zinch ability could be once per battle round, you get a reroll one dice. Something like that, yeah. And that would be a, a lot like change, GD right? dice from AOS, yeah. but, but shrunk into Warcry. That's a great example. Yeah. Um, and so then that would make two very similar factions, right? Dispossessed of Fire Slayers that play exactly the same. They could just have really different allegiance abilities and that would make them play differently. Um, right now they have two very different reactions, which gives them a little bit of different play, but like counter is better than those reactions anyway. So you just <laughs> use counter. Yeah. So, um, so in that case, the reaction isn't doing what it's supposed to. Um, I Four months ago, I hated reactions. I thought they were terrible. I'm kind of coming around on them now. I still, uh, I wouldn't cry if they left when we go to 3.0, but I don't hate them anymore. Um, but I think an allegiance ability that was really simple like that could could be valuable. Interesting. I used to, I was really worried about reactions. I am, um, I'm actually a big fan of reactions now. I think I was worried about how they were going to implement them. And I'm, I'm, maybe I'm saying this to lead into that. I might give GW a little bit of credit. I was really worried about reactions. And then when I, when, it, when the further rule clarification came out on, this is how reactions will be used. And I started playing with them. I realized, okay, it, it, it doesn't feel like it's imbalanced the game even though some factions have reactions that are better than other they're extremely situational they take one of your activations or the, one of your actions in your activation to use mm -hmm. um so there was a cost to it but it also allowed you to kind of continue to respond and play um even on your opponent's turn so i don't know maybe maybe they're try they're trying this out like you're kind of saying dan they're trying this out with two allegiance abilities that they got out there now and They'll get some feedback and they'll figure out what to do with it. But you yeah. got a point. It might be a dry run for what's coming. If you know, if they replaced the allegiance ability with, um, uh, or if they replaced reactions with allegiance ability, I wouldn't be super sad. You know, like mm. I mean, yeah, 
I, I like I, I'm okay with reactions. I'm not saying that they're terrible or anything like that. But like if they if they wanted to take basically say like we're gonna take reactions a step further and make it an allegiance ability, oh, I could see okay. that. I see you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. I, I could see that. I could see that happening. So um yeah. Well let's play the game and then tell them. That's right. Now we <laughs> yeah. need to. I've got some gits here. Maybe we can play that soon. So yeah, anyway. Uh, one last piece of news that uh, Jason and I would like to share. Um, we are showing this. So if you are watching our, um, I'm going to take off this banner real quick. If you are watching our uh, stream, you will see a preview of our Warcry Battle Pack Season 1, Volume 1. Uh, we just came out with this. This is coming out to our Patreon members. And uh, just wanted to kind of give a little preview of that. So there's the cover there. Here's some fun narrative text that uh, basically um, this is all about two war bands that are coming into the heart of Gerd. They followed the comet and, uh, you know, they're just kind of stumbling in to try to make a name for themselves and maybe win prizes and glory. And um, it is a campaign tree branching quest style narrative. So there are six missions that are in this. And depending on who wins uh, and uh, the attacker or defender, um, you'll go to the next one. So you'll end up playing a total of three missions um, as you kind of work through that. And um, here is a preview of one of our missions. It's the mission one into the breach. Um, it's got some mission victory conditions and some twists. Um, all of these are um, original like victory conditions and, and twists. I mean, sometimes they're sort of a variation on existing missions that we've had, but um, especially the twists, they're very um, uh, thematic to the mission that you're playing as well. So, uh, like for example, there's one that where you have to um, activate the sacred tome, uh, sacred totems, and anyone within three inches at the end of the battle round takes D3 damage each, because it's like you know giving off this kind of arcane energy. And uh, then after that happens, then you'll kind of see who actually owns the. Actually owns the totem because it might end up killing a model, right? So, um, but you have to get closer to it to activate it. So it's kind of a fun, fun little twist there. So, um, yeah, if you are interested in more of this, we do have our Patreon um, that is active right now. You can go to Patreon.com/slash/tabletop and beyond if you want to become a Beyonder or Far Beyonder and uh, get access to great content. Is this? Uh, we have other content that we do that includes. Uh, monthly RPG um, sessions, that one-shot sessions that you can run with your friends and uh, other rewards such as playing online with us and, and things like that. So if you have questions about it, come hit us up in the Discord or check us out on patreon.com slash tabletop and beyond. So just wanted to share that out there. Good cool. times. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun making content. Uh, as, as I was going through it, Jason was my editor because I kind of put this together and um jason was my editor and at one point i turned to him and i go jason it's hard making rules like i'm giving gw a slack <laughs> like here. especially consistency in language right using yeah. the same yeah. consistent language and we see that all the time in gw rules where they'll phrase it one way or they'll phrase it another way and sometimes that difference can mean something a little bit different and having gone through that i'm like oh my gosh i can see how easy it is to just use a different phrase and it has something to mean different. So yeah. Um, I'm glad Jason was my other set of eyes because he caught 
34 things that I needed to fix. Did in the I, was it 34? It was 34. Yeah. <laughs> 34 things. Oh, yeah. oh man. That's the so, uh that's the government contracting in you, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So whatever. But anyway. Uh okay, great. So let's let's get on and let's talk about uh our main topic, which is um oops, wrong one. Sorry guys. Which is our events, events, and more events. Uh, like we said earlier, we've got we've had a lot of events happen over the last little bit, and I think that it gives us an interesting look into two things. One, um, Warcry isn't as developed as like an Age of Sigmar or 40k that's out there, right? Or even maybe a kill team. And so, what you'll see with the Age of Sigmar is, um, Local for Age of Sigmar usually means the country in which you are playing, right? So there's a kind of an American meta that happens, and there's hmm. definitely a uh, like an England meta that happens. I was able to um, uh, Australian meta is known for all yeah. ogres. Yeah, exactly right. They love their destruction out there. Um, I interviewed Phil Marsh, who won the U.S. Warhammer Open uh, for Age of Sigmar. And he was bringing a list that nobody in America had seen. And that was part of his shtick is that like nobody knew how to deal with it right away because nobody had seen that list, even though it was a little bit of a variation on something that somebody else had been playing. Um, it was enough different that it was just kind of news to everybody here. Right. So um, Warcry is in kind of an interesting thing because there is a worldwide meta that's sort of burgeoning because I think some of these big events that we're having, like Adepticon or Nova Open or the Atlantic City Open that's happening, um, the Warhammer Fest tournament that that goes on um, every couple of months there in Nottingham, you are starting to see kind of a worldwide meta sort of happen where we know like top factions and kind of you know mediocre factions and things like that. But more specifically, you're you're seeing that the local metas are kind of hyper local so we have like a northern virginia meta and dan i'm sure you've got like a minnesota meta that you have right and you'll see like a san antonio texas meta or southern california or utah meta or something like that because it's really like what your local players are playing right there and they yep. may be influenced a little bit globally about what's going on um, because like part of it is because of shows like this and analysis like the ones that you do on your channel, Dan, on the, the Salty Sea, people are starting to see, oh, I can take those. So it's sort of infiltrating down, but like those hyper-local areas are still kind of the dominant metas that we're seeing, I think. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, and there's there's things that everyone knows are powerful, but there's too many of them for just <laughs> one meta of 25 people, you know, maybe... 10 to 15 of which will show up on a given weekend there's too many of those things for all of those people to be playing them and every in every single meta for all of them to be getting played so like what you said something that's becoming kind of a hallmark in upper midwest meta for example is annihilator prime allies mm -hmm. just people bringing in an annihilator prime or me playing annihilators uh and so then that becomes something of uh, if you want to win a tournament, you should probably either have a plan for um, dealing with a toughness six or toughness seven fighter who does a lot of damage or a way of ignoring it 
and maybe just sticking things in its way, but just knowing that because it doesn't cost that many points, if you sacrifice four chaff models to it over the course of a game, you've actually lost the exchange. Um, and so that's part of what makes the Annihilator Prime good, right? But there's plenty of other really powerful things that that haven't really made their way to the upper Midwest. Like um, we're not seeing a lot of like soul blight grave lords with you know tons of grave guard everywhere. Um, people just don't seem to really be playing that around here. Uh, which is not that anyone around here says it's bad. It's just no one's really doing it. Yeah. Um, how about you guys? What a are there any things that you guys all know are really good that just nobody's really playing around around where you are? Um, uh, only one of our players playing a Chimera, right? Um, and that was kind of even before like it got nerfed. So we didn't yeah. have a lot of monster meta um, that was happening when like monsters were having their hate their day in the sun, right? Yeah. Um, I think that we're still like, I don't know that we're ha we have like a lot of elite armies. Like I think a lot of us are seven models or more. Um, we had a lot of grave. We had like two grave guard lists this last you know tournament that we had. We had um yeah um yeah like so I don't I don't know. Um, I, I think that we were people pretty balanced. Jason. I think that don't people think? are still yes I do think they're balanced, but I think people are still in the mindset of playing what they like to hobby in Warcry versus yep. playing what will win for them. Uh, and then getting, continuing to focus on getting good with what they have. Like Peter's yeah. a, a good example, right? Like I think Peter just loves gets. Yeah. Uh, he loves the hobbying aspect of it. The, um, you know, uh, using the green stuff and making cool little like uh, mushrooms and, and that stuff and so and he's really good at that faction and he's tweaked his list appropriately um but it's just, i think he just really likes the theme of that faction i think yeah. um um andy andy right who played the chimera yep. he i was talking to him the, the the reason he brought that chimera is because he, he spent a lot of time hobbying that chimera like he wanted <laughs> yeah. to paint it and he was like yeah. and it reminds me of our buddy from a, the aos days um uh uh, Matt moved out to yeah, California, Matt right? Barker. Matt yep. Barker, right? He would always bring that. I don't remember what it was called. That giant Nurgle thing that was like, yeah, the yeah. tree, like a three-story tall tree. And he was like, even when they reduced the points, he's like, I mean, I got to bring it. It's, you know, I spent It's such so a centerpiece. Much. It's yeah. such yeah. a centerpiece, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think work, I think with our work, right, at least where we are in Northern Virginia, I feel like most people are still just playing what they like to hobby. Yeah, I think um, I think we're seeing like a hobby plus plus. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not just like narrative hobby or maybe narrative plus plus is what I mean, um, where it is very like we have some people that are very competitive and they shown like in, in this last weekend. And, we, you know, we will go over some of their lists. And then we had some people who um, like they played narrative mostly in their group and you know, they they ended up like several other guys ended up in the bottom spots, but they will be the first to admit that they didn't bring optimized lists. Right. They yeah. brought a list to have a, a great time at, at, a, at a tournament. Right. And um, what's interesting is you'll have those players in Age of Sigmar. Right. You have those players that will bring a list that they want to have fun with. And they just hope that they lose two games straight out of the bat so they can go have a ton of fun in the bottom tables. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is because Age of Sigmar is so big, like the the 
Um, the uh, Las Vegas Open had over 300 people play Age of Sigmar, which is so huge. I mean, it's yeah. like when we were there last time in, in 2020, Jason, it was 170 or yeah. like 160. It was like double. That still feels huge. Yeah. yeah. So it's double the amount that they had. And so the thing is, though, is with that many people, you don't see the results of the people that want to just have a good hobby time and narrative, um, kind of almost play a narrative style tournament, even though it's a grand tournament, right? Like they just want to have fun with the faction that they play. They just want to have fun with the models that they painted and they're just there to roll dice, right? What you do see often in the, like in the 40K and the, in the Age of Sigmar ones is, you know, who made the top eight? What like super min-max list are they running you know, like what what's the big hotness right now that's going on? Like that's that's what you focus on with the Age of Sigmar because like that's the top one yep. percent of the tournament, yep. right? With these events that we have, like there's 16 people, right, or 20 people, or something like that. You you can't hide like five hobby like narrative style players in the in the tournament of 20 people, right? Like they're gonna be there, they're gonna have yep. fun. Um, but you know they're like their lists are going to show up, and so it's it's a little hard to say like oh this is the meta because again it's like narrative plus plus right because the right. plus plus is you have some guys that are literally like coming down to like if I can squeeze in five more points that will give me another model that will you know let me do this and they're really optimizing their lists for that competitive so you kind of have a broader stroke and. I think this was very true at the Nova Open last year too, right? You saw you had guys that were there to play, play competitively for the GT, and you had guys there there that were just like, "Hey, this is like I've got my um, Untamed Beast straight out of the box that I'm going to play, and it's going to be." We fun, had right? Martin Orlando, professional painter, who nearly won the best painted AOS thing um, in in one of the AOS tournaments, show up at one of the narrative Warcry games because he was like, "Here are my." lumineth that aren't good enough in aos to make my army right and i'm playing them in the narrative war cry tournament yeah right i mean how cool is that yeah um, it's awesome yeah so yeah you absolutely have that stuff i do think in those giant 300 person tournaments if you're losing or if if the 200 out of 300 players if those 200 players are just like lost in the tournament and no one ever hears about any of them uh, I think you've done it wrong as a tournament organizer. Um, I think, personally, I think prizes for, like, all right, so you go best overall, best general, best painted. Those are, like, sort yeah. of common in every tournament. And then most people tend to go, okay, best in each Grand Alliance, yeah. but it's really best general of each Grand Alliance, and uh -huh. then best of... But what if you were, like, instead of... And some people have best sports, but what if instead of having just best general in each Grand Alliance, what if you then bracketed down to best painted in each Grand Alliance? Right. And you had twice as many painting nominations because you were like, here are our six destruction nominees. Here are our 10 chaos nominees. And then you, you know, get best painted for each Grand Alliance as well as, or, um, or you could do things like, favorite list where you just have a committee you wouldn't be able to have people vote on this but if you had like a committee of people like tos etc who know the game who are like and this is something that i want to do 
next time I have a tournament that has 20 plus mm -hmm. players, I'll, I'll do this. Um, you have a few people who know the game, who look at all the lists and go, what is the coolest, most innovative list here? Hmm. I'll give them just a prize, a small prize. And then that just signals to your players, like, we will reward things, even if you're not the best player in the room, even if you're not the best painter in the room. Because for some people, those two things can feel out of reach. Mm -hmm. Um I actually took second in best painted this weekend, but mm. the gap between me and the person who took number one was massive. It was pro like it was I don't think I could ever I will never actually bridge that gap, you know, and I I grabbed second and it's just never ever gonna happen. Um, yeah. I also kind of cheated in grabbing second because I brought three warbands to the event because two people were borrowing my warbands. <laughs> um, <laughs> Stack the odds. And I love one, it. Of, one of the ones I brought, I gave them away because I was like, well, this is my best painted warband. So I'm going to make sure that this warband is in the event, even though it's That's not awesome. what I'm playing. And it did take second. But, but what I'm saying is the gap between me and the person who went first, like, I just feel like I could never, ever, you know, close it. Um, and I think a lot of people feel that way in best painted competitions. So then if you have other awards that are for other things, you know, we can get creative here. We can talk about, you know, achievements that aren't just um, pure skill. Um, yeah. Although there is a lot of skill in building innovative lists, right? It's just different skill. That's good. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's a, a great point. Like, you know, uh, Jason, and I were talking about different kinds of tournament formats, right? Rather than just the classic Swiss pair model. Because one of the things that aggravates me is that you kind of have the top table um, playing um, at the end, right? It's usually your two best players or, you know, something like that that you have. And um, the problem is, is when one of those people lose, they'll drop down to like third, fourth, fifth because they didn't win to get high enough, right? Like they, they took a major loss or a minor loss, depending. It, it could have been yeah. the closest game ever, and they still took a major loss and ended up dropping down to fifth place, mm -hmm. even though they were like right there at the top. And so um, one thing I do, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of calling an audible here because we're going to talk about some of the events and we, and we still will. But I, I think one of the things that needs to be developed in Warcry a little bit more is like tournament tradecraft in a sense of like, what makes a really good tournament? Like, you know, and, and thinking about like, okay, does the Swiss style make sense for a turn, like a Warcry tournament where um, if you have like 400 people playing it, yeah, you kind of need the Swiss style to pair down to like your top eight and then you can kind of do a playoff system. You know what I mean? Um, does Warcry benefit from something like that? Do, do you, like if you've got 16 people, you could do a um, uh, with sixteen people. You could do a World Cup style pool play, mm -hmm. and then go into move into single elimination, um, and still have five games, right? Like in, in your tournament, and get to a number one, and basically have everybody ranked top to bottom, right? Like you could you could do that, um, and so I I like the idea of playing around with how a Warcry tournament can work um, mechanically, 
because we have flexibility in that if we played this over two days, we could you could fit in seven to eight games in a weekend easily. You know what I mean? I mean, by the end of game eight, you're probably going to be pretty fried. But, um, you know, you could do you could do six to eight games over two days. No problem. Right. Um, Does that give you some flexibility to change your tournament that, you know, um, I know kill team does like pod style and then, you know, you kind of move into finals and semifinals and things like that. Um, And with that, I know I'm kind of rambling here, but um, with that, like as part of the tournament trade craft, like how do we choose the missions that are going to achieve the, the desired results that we're hoping to go for in the tournament? So for example, we had Reaper as our second mission. And that was one where it was like with Reaper, you probably were going to get a major victory and a and a major loss just because it's so killy, you know. Um, whereas you could be playing Ley Lines and get a minor victory and a minor loss depending on like how many models you killed because you're playing more of a chess match, you know. And so how do you how like how do you come up with a list of five scenarios that give you you know that balance like maybe horde model or like horde missions versus elite missions versus you know like you know do you want do you want to be able to give you draws do you want to be able to you know or close games and like how do you score it type of thing so anyway i just kind of went on a long tangent about like tournament trade craft i don't know (laughs) if you picked up anything that you could talk about there but you know that that's one thing that i kind of like have been mulling over since our event on Saturday, which is like, how do we improve our collective tournament trade craft? You know, be interesting to discuss um, what I'm pulling the thread that you did there. What types of missions mm-hmm. are appropriate for specific rounds in a tournament? Because at rounds or breakpoints where you're starting to filter the crop yep. a little bit, right? And so, are there certain missions that are good? beginning of the tournament missions to allow that filtering to happen and others other missions that should be maybe avoided at certain stages because those missions maybe balance or or maybe favor one type of a warband construct versus an, another when you really are getting late in the game and you really want to put skill against skill i don't know it's a good thought i don't I'm not claiming to have the answer at all, but I've thought about that every time I play in a tournament of, you know, is there, is there a better balance of where missions should be inside of a tournament? Mm-hmm. To that point, like you gave Reaper as the example. Um, I actually find Reaper is the least killy mission. I find it's always a huh. major or minor win, often actually a draw, but it, the win is always either major or minor for, or sorry, major for me whoever wins it they always get major because um if you're playing it right you should only lose one or two models the whole time Mm -hmm. um because the the key to reaper is running away um the and then like the objective ones it's like well you have to go to the objective and then once you get there it's Mm -hmm. like well we we got a big fight on our hands right uh so i find a lot of miners on the objective missions at least when i play really dominant objective mission warbands uh like if you play nurgle demons on an objective mission it's like you're like guaranteed to win but it's trivial for them to beat you or to get the miner because it's like 
there's no possible way they can win on points, but they are just slaughtering your chaff, right? Yeah. Um, that that can often happen happen to me. Um, but I think for that reason, right, like Reaper is a great middle of the tournament mission mm-hmm. where I wouldn't want to mm-hmm. start a tournament just sorting out, hey, everyone who has long range, either 10 inch flyer or shooting, all of those people, you're the only ones allowed in the winner's bracket. Everyone else is not allowed. <laughs> right, right. Right. And that can kind of be what Reaper is sometimes. Um, teams with big shooting just have such a huge advantage in Reaper. Um, but it can be really good later in the tournament in terms of if all you have is like slow, stompy monsters, you shouldn't just be able to skate through because no one could like deal with you when you just get to stand on a point and say, come at me, bro. You know? Um, And, and if you go into Reaper with a warband full of big stompers who can't move very fast, then like you can really get punished, you know? Um, So because like they only have to kill one of your guys and just keep running away from you. And it's like yeah. every turn they just whittle away one of them. And then eventually in round three, they take it down and all run away and then you can't catch them in round four. Uh, so yeah, I like Reaper as a middle one, but I don't know exactly what is my ideal starting mission. I'm not right. sure. I'm not sure. I don't know either. Yeah. You know, and it, like, it just, it just made me think about like, how can we, as as the excitement about events happens with Warcry, how can we improve our tournament tradecraft? And honestly, I I really was thinking that we need to revamp our points pointing system. As 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 easy as it is, right? Like the major minor draw, like that type of thing. Um, I saw some really amazing games that happened where like a person lost by literally one victory point. Oh, what was our first one that we did, Jason? Um. Supremacy. We're playing Supremacy out of the Rumble Pack. And you got, you know, points for holding two, holding three, holding more. Okay. Um, Which I actually really liked that mission. I thought that that was a lot of fun. Um, But we had some games that were like 16 to 14 at the end or like 18 to 20, right? Like super tight games. But with the way that ended, it was a major victory, major loss, Mm -hmm. you know? And that didn't, I didn't feel that that outcome effectively represented the amount of blood sweat and tears that happened in that game well yeah yeah so i i think that two thoughts one not going to open it up for discussion but would be curious or maybe be curious to think do you want missions early on in a tournament that are more driven towards major victories and major losses versus minor victories and minor losses where do you want to have more of those Mm -hmm. in the tournament but the second thing is, I think the definition of major loss and minor loss needs to be mission specific. Because a lot of times we say, whoever, if you've killed more than half of your opponent's warbands and you win, major victory. If you've, or however it is, right? If you've lost yeah. more than half of your warband and you lost, major loss. I, I don't think that's appropriate. And a good example is what happened with Supremacy, where you're playing the objective, you're not playing the model count game. It's like yeah. it's round four. I'll sacrifice all my models to get that one to to get to that 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 one extra point, right? 
Um, but because right, yeah. of how major and minor had, was defined for the tournament, you could get a 18 to 16, which is a very close game, but it's a very large delta in major, major loss and might. So I think that AOS did this. I've played tournaments with AOS where your major loss and your minor loss was, was driven by the round. There were round definitions on what a major loss and a minor loss was. Yeah. That was based on the mission. Well, if you look at most of the AOS tournaments that are happening right now, um, it's really interesting because we've had James O'Brien on the on the podcast before, and he's kind of become GW's Mister A to Sigmar in America here. And um, one of the things that which is almost, funny because he's from the UK. He's from the UK, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's Mister America GW. But um, one of the things that he talked about in there was that, or, or the one of the things that they have done with the um, U.S. Open series is that the tournament points, for example, if you score, um, let's say that you score five victory points or like 20 victory points at the end and I scored like 17 or something like that, that differential would yeah, give yeah. you a, a, a point differential on your battle points that would go into that round, right? And so yep. um, like if you destroyed them, you won 20 to nothing. But if it was a really close game, it'd be 11 to 9 or something like that. Yeah, he, I've played tournaments so. that he set up where he's done that before, and I always felt that was a lot more fair than just uh, on an objective-based game based on how many models were killed. Yeah. So, but, you know, we're trying to keep Warcry simple yeah. too, right? So <laughs> yeah, right. One thing I do like is... Once you've played a few of these tournaments, you actually start to realize that it can behoove you to ignore the mission at certain times if you know you can't win. I I still think back, Jason, to that game we had at Nova where yeah. it was round three and you were like, okay, I'm dedicating round four to killing as many of your dwarves as possible because I'm salvaging some points out of this because I'm not going to catch yeah. that uh, that guy with the treasure. And... Yeah. Um, and I think most people wouldn't think to do that. I think most people would have thrown all of their people at the treasure carrier, right? And you had some, you know, you had some six-inch move guys who maybe could have gotten up really close to him and then, you know, eventually failed to kill him. And and you could have fooled yourself into thinking that, right. like, you had a chance. Like, you probably could have put six or eight damage on him out of his 20 health. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think most players would have tried to chase him down. And that would have been a huge mistake. And so you got five points there where most players would not have. And so I kind of do like that. I do think that that tests a certain level of skill of, of mm -hmm. can you figure out that you're going to win or lose the game uh, at the beginning of round four and change your priorities. But, but I agree with the general point that uh, sometimes it feels bad to uh, have a game that was just so close that ends up being 20 one way, five yeah. or zero the other um, can be yeah. pretty brutal. I actually had one of those this weekend where I, I won by, uh, God, what was it? It was like, it was, I won by two points, but our scores were in the high 30s. Wow. You know, and it was like, and then it ended up being a major victory for me because uh, he, didn't take down a single fighter but but he wasn't trying to he was trying to win on points yeah. right so that does you know that does feel a little anticlimactic for sure yeah yeah definitely so um the thing i yeah. want to like really stress though with tournament craft i do think it's so it's it's really easy to i think overthink it 
as a tournament director because you want people to have the best time possible mm -hmm. right and i do think this stuff matters i do think you can the perfect tournament exists out there and we can keep hunting to find it but the most important thing is just like engaging with your players and trying to make mm -hmm. sure everyone has a good time you know and if you can if you can do that then then you're doing great right like to me the sign of a good four round war cry tournament is everyone who went one and three had a great time yeah. you know and and if you can make that happen if you can sort of do things to help them have a good time then then i think it's great yeah uh, we, totally yeah yeah we gave our uh i think we're doing a lot of we're seeing a lot a lot of that with prizes that aren't just first second and third place you know, yeah we're given we're giving out uh, typically, you know, uh, best general, which doesn't have to be, you know, best general, best, uh, you know, first and second, best general painted. And then typically there's, you know, something, some other one, random one that's there. I think even in this last one, we gave the uh, the guy in the bottom tier, we were like, well, it looks like you need better dice. So we gave him a set of tabletop and beyond dice. Ah, that's yeah. a great. Yeah. That's a really funny gag gift. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But it's so like, good. hey, I man, wish yeah, I thought of that. Dice. You know? Yeah, the smoking boots, the smoking boots award. Yeah, right. Because oh, he's just uh, he lost all four of his games, and we'll talk <laughs> about his list because it was kind of hilarious. But you know, right. he was he was like, "We're trying it out." Like he's playing it the first time, you know, ever. Yeah. So and, we're running uh, out of time. Let's get to these lists. Let's do it. Uh, do you want to start with your uh, event, Dan? Uh, sure. I don't yeah, know what can... you have pulled up. We can start with ours either. Nope, it it doesn't can... matter to me. I can start oh, with my event. Up. That's fine. Um, there we go. So if you're watching with us, um, you can see look, if you're just listening, you'll you know be able to hear us as we talk about it. But if you are watching, we're um, pulling up some of the list to be able to that, that people can look at it. So just as an FYI. Yep. All right. So here I've got the placings of the uh, tournament we ran over the weekend. We had 12 players. Um, I ended up winning. So a little bit of an hey, awkward moment you. when you when you win your own tournament. but. <laughs> um, but I loved the list I brought. So let me show you guys. Um, so I call this list Thick Boy Cardio because <laughs> the the Annihilators are the <sighs> thickest <laughs> models oh you ever see. So it's all Annihilators. And then they're super slow, right? So then I just have two wizards to give them speed buffs. Uh, you have the old guard, which is Tempest's Eye, where uh, this is in tons of lists, not just, you know, yeah. I'm not the only person running one of these. But the old guard is like the cheapest leader in Tempest's Eye that's also like a legitimate piece on the table. Um, and it can cast Swift as the Wind to give plus half the value of the dice. So one plus one plus two or plus three movement to all these annihilators and it has a six inch bubble so you can sometimes get it somewhere where you can reach two different deployment groups which is nice uh and then calthea zandire is a new underworlds mm -hmm. fighter uh not that new she was in harrow deep uh so maybe about a year old i think maybe a little more um but with the FAQ saying that you can take these, uh, I tried it out. She's got the ability Coordinated Strike that is the same as the Lord Imperator, where uh, 
half the dice value, so again, one, two, or three, depending on your roll, uh, that many visible friendly fighters within six inches of you get to make a bonus move or a bonus attack. Uh, so this is really good at the start wow. of the game in round one to get your annihilators out of their deployment zone. And then it's also really good late in the game as in a way that other movement abilities aren't, right? Because you've already gotten to the spot. But late in the game, it stops being just a yeah, movement ability and, it, and you start attacking with it. Yeah. What, so, what is it? Is it a triple? It's a triple. Yeah. So... Whatever your highest double is, you just add your one wild dice every yeah. round to your highest double, and and there you go. Yeah, um, that's so good. I've been really impressed. That's I mean, so good. I was, I was, not so sure how well this uh, list would do, and it's not like I blew people off the board. Um, two of my games were extremely close. In fact, one was so close that it was a draw, uh, if you saw that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, my second game was a draw with the other person who uh, ended up also going undefeated. And uh, so there are a lot of close games that can happen, but the, just the the sheer fighting power of all those annihilators is just absolutely terrifying. Um, yeah. Also, a little thing, a little uh, pet peeve of mine. People talk about T whip all the time, tournament in winning position, where you go undefeated over the first three rounds. It's such a BS stat. Uh, people do it to like measure these are the factions that are actually good, not just like based on win rate. Uh, and people just do it to insult people who get submarine four and ones, submarine three and ones. The two closest rounds I had this tournament were in round one and two. Yeah. Those were the two best lists I played against. And guess what? It was against this Fire Slayers list. They won every other game where they weren't playing against me. And it was against this Dark Oath list where, you know, she won every game where she wasn't playing against me. Um, though, you know, somehow I went through this tournament. I played the second, third, fourth, and fifth ranked players in the tournament. And I didn't actually get to play anyone lower than that. But I feel pretty good about that part. Um, but yeah, just... I loved the list. I don't know that I'll take it to Adepticon, but I do really love it, and I loved playing it. Yeah, I think that T-Whip thing, I think, is uh, garbage for one thing. Our our games are usually only, like, four rounds a lot of times. You know what I mean? And so, like, yeah. three. the problem is is that, like, uh, you, you like if you play Age of Sigmar, your first round is a complete crapshoot. Like, it's not based on any rankings, right? And that's kind of how... Um, Warcry is too. So your first round could be against the second best player that's there, or first best player Easily. that's there, and you just don't know. And so all of a sudden you're you lose your first match against the best player, and you're not going to be you know high on that T whip. Um, there's just too much variety in rounds one and two. I would say three and four things are starting to settle out a little bit more, yeah. right? Because you're starting to get into definitely your brackets of of winners and losers. But rounds one and two, like it's still a crapshoot. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, cool. So, th so you won with the annihilators. I'm looking right now. I've got three shield guys, so I need to go out and get two grand hammers. And uh, that Kalthia Zandira, I've got to look for her box too, because yeah, she's uh, that amazing. ability is incredible. 
Yeah, so let's go to um, the person who came second was Emily Ott on Darko Savagers plus uh, the Godsworn Hunt. Now, I don't have the exact list um, in front of me. Yeah, Dark Oath plus Thedra's, which is Godsworn Hunt. It's uh, Kagra's Ravagers and Thedra's Godsworn Hunt. Uh, but <laughs> the list is cool because Thedra has an ability called Enfeeble, where you get to reduce one fighter's toughness by like a whole bunch. And I think that that was really effective in this metagame because uh, a lot of people like to play, you know, some high armor warbands. Uh, Night Haunt have, you know, all of them have toughness four. Uh, Slaves to Darkness, all of them have, you know, toughness pretty high, other than the Marauders, but all the rest of them have really high toughness. Mm -hmm. Stormcast, of course, you know, we drew on Reaper because Emily was one of the only people able to actually get through some of my fighters really well. Mm. Um, and that was an ability that in 1.0 just wasn't very good because all the really high toughness fighters were garbage anyway. So you yeah. didn't care about reducing their toughness. But now there's a ton of really good high toughness fighters. So being able to uh, drop someone's toughness down to zero is actually relevant now. Yeah. Yeah. In one point, it seemed like a lot of the fighters were based, like their 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 um their points value was based off of toughness, and um and movement too. But toughness seemed to play a bigger factor than it did in two point And so I think yeah. some of those garbage fighters got better because they got points increased because they were super slow. And they were they kept their toughness up, right? So yeah, they they got better. Yeah, in 1.0, you wanted really low toughness, lots with lots of low strength attacks, and mm -hmm. really fast. And it was like all of those warbands were ridiculous. Um, so like all of the giant rats in Skaven, and yeah. you could like rush someone with you know four giant rats, and you'd actually kill them with just giant rats because it was like these 35 point uh you know super fast little rats that yeah. all their attacks are worthless but you just get so many of them that it doesn't yeah. matter yeah mm -hmm. yeah um, especially a game that you know a game that is it's always the worst you're ever going to be is fives and sixes yeah yeah regardless of a modification to toughness or the best you'll ever be is three plus right yeah, so I think that them dropping the points on high toughness models was definitely an improvement to the game. Mm -hmm. um, you see, you know, in the top four of our tournament, there's a mostly toughness six and seven warband. There's a mostly toughness four warband in the Darkwood Savagers. Uh, Fire Slayers was split. Uh, some were four, some were five. And then Matt Edson was on Lumineth Realm Lords, and those were all toughness three. Um, oh, and a few four, but some also some three. So, you know, just a wide range of different toughnesses here at the top of this tournament. So that's a good thing. Um, and then the last, whoops, the last of the top three from our tournament was um, this cool Fire Slayers list where it's a Doom Seeker that's 135 points, uh, Annihilator Prime with the shield. Mm. An old guard to get the speed boost, 
um, one Hearthguard Berserker, and then seven Volkites, three of them with two weapons and four of them with shields. And this is really interesting because, um, one, you know, Fire Slayers are pretty good now. And also, this is part of what I'm talking about, about this Annihilator Prime is starting to become just like a hallmark of Upper Midwest Warcry. Um, uh -huh. I don't know if you were following the tournament I ran in January, but a different person won that tournament with an Annihilator Prime in his list. Uh, and there was that wasn't even the only Annihilator Prime ally at that tournament. Uh -huh. um, so here it's like I was playing Annihilators. Eric had an Annihilator Prime in his list. So uh, just one of those things where you got to be you got to be ready for the Annihilator Prime apparently in any uh, Upper Midwest Warcry game. Um, Which is funny because Jason, I don't think we saw any Annihilators on our table. I don't think in, like, so. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Interesting. So it must be must just be a Midwest thing. Yeah, Midwest. They like their yeah. beefy boys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well it's um, cold it's cold they gotta bundle up yeah <laughs> the other thing about this list is it's 11 fighters so it's just yeah. really swarming the board um just really effectively and um and so that's always going to be great on objective missions we had yeah. essentially three or really two and a half objective missions over the course of that tournament um and so having all those numbers was a huge help uh what missions did, did you guys run and in like what order we ran power struggle which was the first one that is the um the four objectives rumble pack mission where each objective is worth more every round mm, okay and then the second one we did was reaper and then the third one we did was tides of battle and that is the six objective mission where uh, there's a primary and five secondaries every round. And then the fourth one was Hidden Vault, uh, which is the one where there are three objectives and then you burn two of them and then you end up with just one at the end. Mm -hmm. so I love that, burn objectives. Yeah, I love yeah. those types of missions. I like it too. Um, although I am noticing that just the beefier warband tends to win as long as they just have enough guys to cover the objective, uh, which is which is a totally fine thing as long as you're bringing other kinds of missions in your battle pack too. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was um, it. Was a good. I thought it was a good mix. You know, mm -hmm. lots of really different things. Anytime you have like one where you have to cover six points on the field and then one where you only have to cover one, right? Those are like, can't get any more different than those two. Um, I ended up playing against this list in a four objective mission and it was really exciting. Um, the Rumble Pack missions all have secondaries and I actually lost by two points on the primary objectives, but won the secondary by so much that... Um, that I ended up winning the game. Oh, uh, wow. So, so that's the first time I've ever seen the secondaries like really change the winner of a battle, and so that's kind of cool. That's interesting. Um, so we didn't use secondaries from the Rumble Pack um, for that very reason is that some of those secondaries were a little tipsy towards being able to. If you got a secondary, you could have won the whole mission without doing anything on the primary, depending on what it was, right? So. 
no, the the secondaries only create like maybe one fifth as many points, maybe okay. one tenth as many points as the primaries. Um, they're really just there to swing it when it's really really close um, yeah. and kind of give you a a second thing to be playing for. Um, I think they add a lot to be honest. I think they okay. they're I think you should try them. I think they're really fun and they add a lot of other strategy. Um, we used we used our tournament quests as tiebreakers, right? Sure. So like if you ended up at the end of round four as a draw, then if someone got their tournament quest, then that was a tiebreaker. We never had anybody oh, that drew though. You didn't you didn't allow draws. Right, correct. Yep. Oh, okay. I kind of like draws because they uh, stratify the the group more, but yeah. that only matters if you have more than sixteen players. Right. Um yeah, so but I, I do like secondaries giving you an extra something to think about, especially because the Rumble Pack missions otherwise just the only valid option in the Rumble Pack is just to swarm with as many mm-hmm. bodies as you can. Um, playing any fewer than 14 fighters, if it's if there's no secondaries and you have fewer than 14 guys, you're you're just you're committing malpractice in <laughs> if it's only Rumble Pack. So um I don't think that's very compelling gameplay. So adding the secondaries makes you like think about other things as well, which I like. Okay. Um, but like both of us in our tournaments mixed Rumble Pack with Core Book, which which also does its own work to stop people from just flooding 14, 15 fighters. Because yeah, there's some Core Book missions where if all you have are chaff models, you can't win. So right. Um, but this this uh, list from Eric is a really good board flood warband that can win core book missions as well because uh, he's got you know the doom seeker can get some get some real damage in the annihilator prime can get some real damage in the hearth guard can get some damage in um and then all those volkites with shields the four of them you know just the 65 point fighter with toughness five so they're just really good at countering yeah. i had one where i attacked one of his guys i had strength five so i wasn't too worried about it but I rolled two ones and a three. <laughs> like, oh my ah, God. <laughs> yeah, nice. And he had said, I'm countering. So yeah. I ended up doing zero damage and taking five, uh, which is wow. just completely awful. Yeah. Uh, but that, you know, that can happen. Counter is really good. If you build a warband that's built just to do counter, yeah. uh, you can win a lot of games. I haven't Wait. seen anyone really build OCR Bone Reapers, which is, I think, the best faction at doing that uh but you could do it and it would be really good and and eric succeeded a whole bunch of times with this there was um in the six objective mission i think he only got one kill but he won the mission because Mm. he was just like i'm gonna stand on all these objectives and counter you every time Uh, and it got to where his opponent couldn't attack him because it's Mm. like well, I'm in, you'll kill it. Yeah. Yeah, you'll you'll kill it when I attack you. <laughs> That's too funny. That's yeah, way too funny. So, really cool. Um let's yeah, get to really your good. tournament. Yeah, so um, you know, we don't we don't need to go through all of the stuff. I do want to give an honorable mention to um our guy at the very end. So like you can roll down to um him, Vincent Verado. <laughs> um, if you want to pull up his list, you'll see why he ended up getting last place. I love oh, you, Vincent, by the way. I know you're listening fires. to us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he was Zeech Arcanites. Um, he had four models. 
Yeah. One's one Zinger Skyfire, one Skyfire AVR, one Zinger Shaman, and another Zinger Skyfire. Um, he would have done amazing if he could just roll sixes, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, if he... <laughs> like if he just critted everything, then he would have done like amazing with it. Um, but the fact was is that if you could close the distance with these uh, Zangors, the Skyfires, and and the AVR, if you could close the distance and get within three inches of them, they're really hurting because he he had to then move to be able to shoot you because they have a three to fifteen range or something like that, right? Yep. So he had to move to shoot you, and then he was only rolling two dice. So I was like, dude, it's like even if you get a crit and another hit, like my dudes are still gonna be ticking because you're not doing more than fifteen damage against these guys a turn, essentially, you know? Yeah. So and it's like you'll get to every objective you want to because everything here flies, but yeah. it's gonna be pretty tough to uh to win any of those objectives, right? Yeah. Because you and only have four guys. And he struggled. So we had three. Here, actually, let me let me t- tell you real quick what our missions were. The first one was supremacy from the Rumble Pack. That has six objectives in there, and yeah. you get t- two victory points for if you hold two, two victory points if you hold three, two victory points if you hold more. Right. So you can get a maximum of six victory points um, yep. each round, depending on depending on what you do. Um, Four models there is not great because you literally have to hold four objectives to be able to get the maximum points with yeah. one model on each objective, right? So <laughs> yeah. it just it was I played him the very first round and um it just it wasn't pretty. But when I asked him, I said, What you know, like why did you come up with this list? He's like, I'd never played these before. I had these models. I just wanted to try it out and see what it looked like. So he had a really good attitude about the day. You know what I mean? Because nice. okay. he knew that uh, he knew that it just wasn't probably going to go his way. But they, I mean, they were beautifully painted, and he had a good time playing with his models. You know, so cool, cool. Um, uh, sorry, let me ju- let me just talk about the the missions again that we have. So we did Reaper number two, uh-huh. um, as well, and then mission three we did season control. Um, this is from the Rumble Pack as well. So there's four objectives that are kind of like um, uh, five inches out from the center and then five inches away from the mid midline, right? So this yep. way and then this way kind of thing. And um, you get one victory point for each objective that you control. And if you hold all four at the end of the battle run, you get 10. Yep. So, um, so we had that one. And then the last one was Ley Lines 2.0, right? So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you had kind of an all objective mission tournament. Except for Reaper. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. So three objective missions, but like yep. pure objective missions where I kind of had two two pure objective missions and then mm-hmm. one um, kind of, right? Yeah. Kind of objective. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. Um, you know, but again, this goes back to the tournament craft that I think we beat with a you know, beat to a, a bloody pulp in earlier. But you know, like what like what balance do you want? Do you want to have like objectives and non-objectives? I think you gotta think about that as you if you want to put together a a really competitive tournament, right? If you want to just have fun, yeah. I don't know that it matters what missions you pick, but um well anyway. I do think the person who won your tournament, if you were going to pick a faction to win Mm -hmm. three objective missions and then reaper where it's all about uh hitting your opponent from long range and that's the only thing that matters terradron overlords is literally the warband to try to do that uh (laughs) uh, we're seeing it looks like 11 
models here. So you're yep. going to be doing great on objective missions. Um, and then you've got the Mizzen Master and the Company Captain plus two Thunderers combo, which is yep. pretty insane. Um, this is really similar to a list that went three and one in my January tournament. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's really powerful. I think KO it might have been the strongest faction that didn't get nerfed. <laughs> um, right. Just because Some, like, somehow they came out in 2.0 post uh, shooting nerf stronger. You know what I yes. mean? Like, yes. uh, which is weird because in 1.0, they actually, I don't think that they were that good. No, they um, and yeah. and in 2.0, even though they nerfed it, like they came out stronger. So mm-hmm. well, they nerfed I don't know everyone how that else's shooting, but not chaos. Yeah, right. So um, <laughs> that fight for profit yeah. is really strong, especially when you do have some objective based games, right? And so Arcanaut going from 65 points to 50 is just like so wild yeah. to me. Um, <laughs> just really yeah. hard to understand, but yeah, they're they're really amazing. Um, I played a ton of Arcanauts at Nova Open and just ha- the versatility of you have 12 wounds on 50 points. So, yeah, it's only toughness three. They can do a lot of damage to them, but it's still 12 and you yeah. only paid 50 points for it. And then the fact that they can, if you run into melee with them, they're still putting out three attacks where, you know, it's not a lot of attacks, but each each try of three attacks you might roll a six and the six is their three damage and yeah. there's only this 50 point mm-hmm. fighter doing three damage to you and um and then they can shoot two so they can stand on one objective and shoot the other objective which is really powerful to be able to do um there's a lot with ko and then in the faq they nerfed every aoe ability that was better than fight for profit they nerfed them uh yeah but they didn't nerf fight for profit. They kind of like they drew right. the line, and it was like if you're better than fight for profit, you get nerfed, and otherwise you stay the same. And so they kind of left KO with the best uh, AOE damage buff in the game. Which uh, yeah, I think I think yeah. what one important point that uh, I want to pick up here is that with eleven guys on the board, you have to start thinking about sometimes your warband. If I'm facing against a warband that has eleven. Can I kill enough for a major victory? Can I do that? Because I you need to kill six six models for a major victory, right? Oh no, that's not how it only. Oh no matters. no no! Sorry sorry yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah yeah, like you got to keep half of your own alive. Sorry, that's what yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, keep half of your but own life. Can you but, if you're losing? Can you salvage yeah, a minor to, victory? To force right? a minor that's exactly. Need, yeah, that, right? that's yeah. what I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. Thank you for the correction. That's kind of what I was saying. Can you salvage a minor loss out of this? And it's it's tough. yeah. yeah. And, and it's hard, especially if they can stand far away from you and shoot you as you're coming. You may have to take one full round just to get to them, yeah. you know? And let's say there's three there and you have two models that get to that thing. It's going to take you three rounds to probably kill those three models, yeah. you know? And is that worth it? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's and hard. The, like, the there's some math there. Is real, too. So, like... Yeah. If you have a list that cares about combos at all, like my list, for example, I don't think that this list would be very good at all at taking Annihilators off the board, but you'd get the Old Guard off the board, you know, and then the Annihilators are going to be really slow and they're not going to catch you. 
And yeah, so yeah. I would see, I could easily see this list like on Reaper. Sure, like that Mizzen Master literally can't do anything. You have your 250 point model who's literally just two weight actions because you can't come anywhere near an Annihilator with it or it'll just blow up. But yeah. those Thunderers, you're just going to shoot you're just going to shoot down the old guard and then run away. And that's yeah. it. That's all you have to do. Um, so this would be really, really difficult uh, hey, for my you, list to be in Reaper. Can, can you go back to the pairings? Because one of the biggest games that happened, I think was in the third round with this guy, um, they were facing off. Yes, it was third round. Um, he was facing off against Gordon Bolts, which is Andy. Andy had a Camara. Um, and so let's go to his because I think Andy took second place in the tournament. So okay. Andy had a um, a Beast of Chaos Chimera list, right? So he had a yep. Chimera, a Beast Lord, two Gores with dual blades, and an un and two Ungores with spear and shields. Like basically, the only thing other than the Chimera that was there to do anything was the Beast Lord, which is kind of akin to a Savage Big Boss, like. He can do some damage if 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 he needs to, but all those yep. other gores were just there to fill out as like objective captures and maybe tie down some people until the chimera could come in for support, you know. Yep. So um yeah, he talked about before like how he wanted to play this chimera. He he took second with it. That chimera, I ran into that buzzsaw of this chimera list the second round, and it was Reaper. And he did such a good job of blocking movement with that giant base. I could not, I literally couldn't get to his gores that he was hiding around some terrain, you yeah. know, because I couldn't, um, I couldn't get there fast enough with my mount. Uh, I couldn't, because I couldn't go any under any archways and I couldn't climb over some terrain, right? Because he had blocked off the access there. And my other guys were just so far on the other side of the board where the, um, where the mission started that like they couldn't get over there. They're only moving three inches, right? They couldn't get over to where he had kind of hit him. And yeah. so it was like, well, what do I do? Do I just throw my dudes into this Camaro? Well, he took around, he took, if he killed one guy around one, he killed one guy. If he killed one guy around two, he killed one guy. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and, and I have like these 80 point um, Savage Oryx and like, that's all he needed to do is just kill one of them. I mean, he killed two of them just in case I killed like one of his gores. You know, and um, yeah. so he did a really good job, too, of taking that Chimera and putting it up on top of a terrain piece where it had more than half of its base there. And then he'd use the Dragon Maul. And then the next activation, he'd use the double that you ignore terrain, like terrain height for the attack. Yeah. You know, mm. and so like he'd drag him on me and set me basically within two inches of him and then just like snipe him like the next turn, Oops. you know, and so. That's interesting because yeah. I think the rules say that for monsters, their base has to be wholly within the terrain platform. Yeah, to you not can't fall jump off. onto terrain. Uh oh. Well, yeah. then I we played that wrong. So. <laughs> oh well. Still a yeah. beast of a monster. To yeah, yeah, I mean, I I still think he was one. I like I just didn't have an answer. I mean, I had a um, a uh, uh, a gore grunta with a gore haka, and I had a um, a uh, brute boss. And I had Savage Big Boss. But the problem was, is if I had thrown all of those into him, right, 
there, yeah. I could not, I probably still wouldn't have killed him. Like it would have taken me four rounds and he would have killed some of my bigger point models anyway. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. um, I'm trying to play the numbers game on that Reaper and losing like every time. So I ended up losing three rounds to one. I, I won, I beat him on one round. So, okay. You know, did you but bracket the, did you bracket that? the Camara? No, because I like it wasn't even worth me to try to. I had to go after his small models to yeah. actually even compete, you know, um, per round. So I didn't even try to attack the Camara. Yeah, um, I, just, I, I have I've yet to be able to play a Camara, and I really want to with my ogres because I feel like if I if you play the movement right and you can get a heavy hitter in, you could bracket a Camara potentially two down and what would what would a chimera's threat like level be like on the board if he's two brackets down yeah a lot less i mean it's yeah. still it's still six attacks strength six dealing right. yeah. three six damage so it'll it'll chew through that first ogre but it'll have nothing left and then the second yeah. ogre will take it and then it's like yeah you took down this 515 point model and yes it killed your biggest 280 point ogre but 280 is a lot less than 515 so yeah it's yeah worth it yeah so andy here lost his only loss was in that third round um when we were playing season control I heard, and it was where the chimera came in round two yeah which i think is really key because if you can if you know where a chimera is coming in um because yeah. i did some testing because you know i i have a chimera and i was I did a battle report on my channel with a Chimera post FAQ Chimera versus Iron Jaws. Uh -huh. uh, but I've been finding if the Chimera comes on round one, it's still ridiculously strong. But if yeah. it comes on round two against a really competitive, like really well tuned warband, I think you are the underdog if if you're playing the Chimera and it comes on round two. Um, yeah. Because they can the, kind of plan for you in a way that can be pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, and the other advantage that um, he was playing against the KO list here, the other advantage that he had was that um, the objectives were essentially, again, five, you know, 10 inches uh, horizontally and then five inches or 10 inches vertically from each other. So unless he was like directly on each objective, um, he could fight. I mean, he could pretty much fight from profit from any of those objectives and just lay into that Camara, oh, which is sure. what he did, you know. And yeah, I mean, what a great way to shoot, like kill Camaras. You don't even have to get close to it. You know, yeah. you don't have to worry about, you know, the negative sides of charging into a Camara. You can just shoot it until it, it comes to you. You can spread your fighters out and still shoot it, you know. So, yeah, fight for profit is such a cool ability until it's the strongest ability in the game you know <laughs> yeah, yeah like when when swift as the wind was too good and when lead from the back was too good fight for profit was so cool because yeah. it's like it's not too like there are things that are stronger than this but it's really cool it's the only really impactful ranged buff in the game mm -hmm. now they actually did make a second one when they uh in the FAQ, they buffed the uh, Bolt Boy range oh, yeah, right, right. buff. But like, until the FAQ, it was the only ranged buff in the game that was any good, and it was, um, and it was really unique and really cool. And the the idea that KO would 
uh, be more effective when they're holding treasure or on an objective because that's where the money is uh, than they would otherwise. It's like perfect flavor for KO, yeah. you know? But um, I do wonder if people will get sick of that ability now that it's the best damage ability in the game. Right. Um, yeah, yeah we'll be, it'll be interesting. Uh, Let's see, what, what else do we have? So uh, KO was number one. Our number two was uh, Andy. Or, and you've met Andy before, by the way. He had the Beast of Chaos best painted at Nova Open. Oh, do you mean this Andy? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, sorry, Gordon Boltz is the Andy that I'm referring to. So Gordon. Oh, is okay. I didn't name. know that that was okay. Sure. Yeah. Now I get so, it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That okay. That explains a lot. So then we have uh, Peter Merson Cabbage. Yep. Becoming a and bit of a legend in the War Cry he, scene. He is, and by the way, he's such a nice guy. I love him. I love the fact that he lives like an hour and a half away from us, and he's like, "Do more of these, and I will be able to come." You know, and yep. so um, he's just been so much fun to have in our in our little area here. So. Yeah. Um, he had a great destruction soup list this here. This is just, yeah, classic, beautiful, well-constructed destruction soup. We've been seeing this ever since the Nova Open, and yeah. it's still good. Yeah. yeah. So cool. this really is, cool. um, which, which is interesting because he did a destruction soup at Nova Open and did not do very well with it because he, uh, was he wasn't still souping. learning. He was only he was only gloom spike gets at Nova Open. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, because he couldn't figure out how to make a very good gets list out of that, and then he realized he needed to kind of soup it. So you need um, one tight. Yeah. You need one like just short range absolute beater that all of your little um goblins can hide behind <laughs> right yeah yep. because i mean he's got an auric mega boss right which is a beefy guy he's yep. got prog the netta which is a great netter obviously five fewer right? points than the other netters it's perfect yep, yep. <laughs> that's all you need yeah he's got a bounder bra a bounder boss um with I love bounder boss. that's next to him right that gives him the extra attack abilities um and sn sn uh, snark sour tongue i can't remember what does snark sour tongue do again he gives my love um, of the bounder boss i've actually oh, snark yeah, has nice. a an aoe attack that's right that's yeah. right it's like a and three inch AOE unsettling attack. amount of damage for his yeah point. Right. it's pretty ridiculous yeah and then he put in his hammer um peter put in a bolt boy boss um which we just talked about like right his he got that nice uh range ability buff yep um where he crits on four he can crit on fours right Yep. Um, and then you've got to stab it with a barbed net. So he has like two of those, which is another netter, and that brings him to an even 1,000 points. So yeah. a lot of board control here with three netters. Um, he's got some major damage potential in that bounder boss with Brugit pairing. He's yeah. got a beefy boy with the orc mega boss that can like sit on an objective and really like make people's lives miserable. Yeah. And then he's got some sniping ability with the bolt boy boss. So this Everything is, like you said, classic soup where he can do a little it's a swiss army list for sure yeah do a little bit of everything right yeah just a perfect little um yeah this is great this is and this this kind of list it actually takes a lot of skill to pilot these uh, mm -hmm. because your goblins can die so quickly yeah. uh, if you're not careful with them like snark will just die to a stiff breeze so you have to be really yeah. careful mm -hmm. um but but really cool, and you have all the tools. You are never out of it. Um, although you are a little light on bodies, so in objective missions, you've got to be smart. But like, 
you know, because you have so many tools, you can often take your opponent down. Um, yeah, and that bounder boss has got movement, right? So he can get to where he needs to be. Yeah, the bounder uh, boss is uh, the the orc mega boss is a big threat, but the bounder boss I think is the strongest threat in the list. The way that he plays them, they just their movement yeah. is like eight movement. They're just so accessible to every part of the board, and they yeah. do and they can do massive damage. Yeah, and, and Peter is destruction uh, got buffed to actually work the way it's supposed to now, yeah. uh, which makes these riders really good. And Peter is a man who every time I play him, he gets more than one quad every time. <laughs> he is a quad machine. He is a quad machine. Oh, Peter, Peter is also very, 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 very strategic. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was kind of the running joke of our event that. Um, the last game of every round was involved Peter, right? And we're like, come on, Peter, time's up. You know, he's like, come on, I'm sweating here. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) So, yeah, he did did really good with that. Um, So did Peter end up losing to this KO list in the finals is what it looks like from the tracking? Yeah. Yeah. This KO list, no bunny run here. I mean, these two lists that he beat in the last two rounds are pretty serious. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, just if you look at the other list that we have there in the um, Javi Martinez, he, I'm familiar um, with with uh, this gentleman. He uh, he's on my uh, Discord, often oh, nice. posting really interesting yep. uh, Slanesh lists. Always yep. posting yep. interesting Slanesh lists on my Discord. Love to see them. <laughs> yeah, he's he's in our Discord too, and he's just uh, you know always asking it. Um, Jason, you played him, right? I played him and Peter, yeah. 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 yeah Jason had a tough row. <laughs> yeah. Well, Peter and I had a great game. It was it was a perfection chess match to the end, right? I'm the uh, I'm his I'm Peter's uh, minor victory there because okay. I went for the I went for it once I I realized, but it it it, it came it was funny it came down to oh, so you should have a five here and not a zero. Oh yeah. Oh uh, well. <laughs> uh, it it came. It doesn't matter. But yeah, yeah, it it came to every move that we would make. We would one of us would be stepping back like this, and then we would make the move, and then we would comment to each other. You just made the best move you could have made. Like oh, Peter, cool. it was like yeah, that yeah. with Peter and I back and forth. In fact, it came all the way down to the was last the round ride when the two fencers. Yeah. Like, yeah, you've done very well. But I'm not left-handed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just like... it, it, it's funny. It came down to, um, you know, it, it was an objective game, and it, it came down to Peter. I had one of my little nobblers going up against one of his little goblins, and Peter could, he could have gone for, he could have gotten a little bloodthirsty and gone after my goblin, but it would have pushed him off of an objective. Yeah. And so he he right at the last minute he's like now I'm going to play the objective and he and he just gave up on the goblin he says there's you know you, my goblin or or my, your nobbler and my goblin will just contest that objective yeah. and he pulled it over to capture an objective well I had the last activation and I went in with my nobbler and I double critted and killed his goblin <laughs> so if he had gone after I would have won that other objective and that yeah. would have been an uh, you know the game would have been more interesting so. Really, like you said, Peter's very chess game with Peter. Yeah. Uh, but then, and then after Peter, I played uh, uh, Javi, and it was, um, I'm gonna tell you, my brain was fried after playing Peter. <laughs> and Javi had a great list, he had um, the uh, the the uh, um, Slakehorn, 
the slake horn uh one one of them is like just a total like chaff killer yeah and that yeah, that thing came in and both of these slake slash and the slake horn. So the uh, slake horn is even better because you get the two inch reach, and then of yeah. course, you know, one of the three or four best abilities in the game uh, in terms of that, or one of the best doubles in the game at least. Yeah, uh, with that yep. free move. absolutely. Yeah. That that this list has a lot of movement in it, um, yeah. a lot of double movement, uh, which which was very successful. He was very successful with that. He was. He played it very well. I was not playing super awesome, and he was doing great. He was capitalizing on my mistakes. Sure. Um, and uh, he also rolled really hot. But it was a fun game where, at the end of it, we kind of realized, well, I'd already pushed a my I'd already pushed a, him into a minor victory um, versus a major victory. And so we said, you know what? Let's just meet in the middle and have a death match. And so we literally just all of our models came to the middle and we were just rolling to see who could kill who at the end. Funny. It was I mean, the end of the like tournament. It favors you quite a bit, but <laughs> with well, your tyrant and your gut lord. You'd think, <laughs> you'd think, but he rolled with the, uh, with the slake horn. He rolled like four crits. Oh, okay. And it was like <laughs> green, uh, six, 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 six. I was like, oh, well, no. all right. It's a dice game. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. But he was a good player. He played uh he played his list very well. Um and I think it's a pretty good list actually. I tell you, I love the share the pain reaction. Oh yeah. The share the pain which is the opposite of counter meaning if you hit me, you get damage. Yeah. It's so, like the perfect yeah. it's counter but I have low toughness instead of high. Yeah. That's really brilliant, especially with a bunch of homunculi. Yep. And yep. he yeah. used it on the homunculus like Every time I'd swing, he'd do, I'm sharing the pain. And sure yeah. enough, it got me to second guess. Gosh, I don't even know if I want to attack you now, because if I kill you, it will also kill me. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually really cool. Yeah, um, very especially cool. Because counter is like, all right, one of us is going to take a ton of damage here. You know, do you roll well or... But share the pain is is great because it's like you win for losing there. Yeah, that's um, the key, right? Counter, counter. Oh, please don't kill my guy. You might, you're probably going to kill him. I'm going to do a counter, try to do some damage. You may not get any damage. Yeah. But share the pain is like, well, if my guy dies, at least I did some damage. I dare you to kill my guy. Yeah. Is actually <laughs> what you're saying. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's such uh, a Slanesh thing to say too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah please totally. kill me, daddy. and the thing that i really respect here we've been talking javi and i for quite a while i think slanesh is in my opinion the like maybe the only good mid-range faction in the entire game but i've played it a bunch and you know been talking with him and just saying slanesh is good but they're just not great um because and i was i was addicted to these uh all pain master and uh yeah what do you call the twin souls pain masters and twin soul lists and they're they're good they these are the best derpy mid-range like 100 point fighters in the game or some of them you know um but the problem is you're still playing these like 100 point middle of the road fighters and so it's it's just there's going to be times when you're just not really effectively min maxing on the board, and he just said, you know what, 
we've been chasing this dragon for long enough. I'm just going to play the chaff model. Four homunculi. Sure, there are better 50-point fighters out there, better 55, but like the one thing we keep identifying is these these slake horns and slake slash are just yeah. that ability is so good. Why not just get it get the two best ones you can and then you know fill out with chaff like a classic list. Uh, no need to no need to get like fancy just because um, just because Slanesh tempts you to. So I really yeah, respect right. that and I love the way he came to this. He list. um right. Javi lost his first game and um it came down to who was he playing? I think he was playing Peter his first game. I'm almost okay. positive he was playing Peter his first game. So hey, like there there you go, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Um, there you go. You're talking about like luck of the draw to pull Peter your first round is not like fun, right? Yeah, and and, and it's again why T Whip is bad because this is the third and fourth best yeah, players exactly playing in the first round. Yeah, and or he um placing. yeah he ended up losing because I think um Peter again rolled rampage or and then rolled crits like crazy crits right and and Javi just looked at me like. I can't believe that just happened, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Like you know, and I'm like, sorry, man. Like, like I said, I don't Peter's know the king you. of quads, man. Yeah. yeah. So um, that was pretty good. Um, let me hmm. uh, just uh, go down real quick. I played Andrew Elliott with Soulblight Grave Lords. We don't have to go through that, but he had like, um, uh, he had one uh, the uh, Dreadblade Harrow and um, uh, the Vampire Lord, and then like one skeleton, and the rest were. Um, Graveguard. Oh yeah, classic. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, classic Graveguard. Um, I I played him my last round. I think I could have beat him with my Bone Splitters, but I made a very very bad decision on ley lines, and I activated the wrong um, objective. I activated oh, yeah. the objective right next to where he would be coming on in round two. Oh and no! Oh, because no. I did that, yeah. like it just opened up my guys to end up dying. Mm-hmm. And it just ended up being a land like a landslide victory for him after that. And um, I think it would have been a much. Di- and we both agreed it would have been a much much different game had I chosen the correct objective to open up right um, to to get on ley lines. So um, I felt like my bone splitters like played a terrible game against him. But I think that they could have done better had I had I played better on that last one. So. Okay. How did you yeah. like your bone splitters list? I've got it up on the screen right now. Um, it is, I think it's so it did amazing against um chaff stuff. Like they sure. could get in there and just like kill, kill, kill. Like they're pretty good. The charge ability is amazing be, with that, right? So that they As get always, that, yep. that bonus move and then be able to double hit. Um, so I have a gore grunt boss who's a, with a gore gore hacka. Um, a savage big boss and a brute. Yeah, boss this is Oric War Clans. This isn't yeah. Bone Splitters. This yeah. is Oric War Clans. Let's yeah. be real here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, exactly. I was like, hmm, maybe I should drop the brute boss and bring in a Bolt Boy boss, and then it's really Oric War Clans, yeah, that's right? True. So, um, but um, yeah, so I got I got one in each of my deployments. I got one big hitter. I've got two more boys, and I really like the more boys at 95 points, believe it or not. Like, they're actually, they do two, four damage, and they have, like, three attacks each at strength four. 
Okay. So not bad. I mean, against chaff, like they're great. They're hitting on threes and doing two, four damage. Right. So, um, and then I've got two savage oryx with a chompa and a bone shield. And those are toughness for 15 wounds. Right. So they, they last a while. And I use, those are usually my objective campers. So, um, Two two of these missions, I did, like killed it. I mean, like one of them was. I mean, to be fair, one of them was against the Arcanites, right? That the yeah, sure. the, the, the Arcanites. <laughs> so like that yeah. was kind of a gimme there. Um, but then I played a Squig Heavy list on um, on Season Control, and they just tore through the Squigs like they just ate them for lunch. So, um, yeah. you know, and uh, and tore through the the fungoid cave sh- or not the cave shaman the um the uh what's what's the the big not the cave squig but the yeah the cave squig he had a cave squig oh and, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah so you know um and when i played the white list i used the you messing with the with the boss and he did really good with that but again, I just chose the wrong objectives. Had I done a different one, it would have been a very different game. So I think uh-huh. that they're very competitive. They were not at all competitive against the Chimera. I I literally yeah, could that... do nothing against the Chimera, you know. So I mean, if you have a if you get a rampage in round two with your Gorgrenta boss, all of a yeah. sudden the Chimera is sweating a little bit. But yeah. I think that's the only thing. I think that's the only hope you've got. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, no, I'm gonna take this exact list to Adepticon. Um, oh, cool. Okay. And we'll see how it does there at Adepticon. I think that I, I'll be curious to see if any Chimeras really show up at Adepticon, because um, uh-huh. that's the one that I that's the one thing I think I really fear with this list is a Chimera. Yeah. Um, I don't I, I don't even fear other monsters so much. It's the Chimera, you know. So. Yeah. I, I hoped in taking my Stormcast this weekend that i would finally clear up what i'll take to adepticon but it's only raised more questions because like i was hoping it would either fall flat on its face or it would do so well that i'd be like oh man i solved it like i won the meta game i figured it out but i had a draw because uh my opponent revealed to me some weaknesses that stormcast have on reaper uh i didn't lose because stormcast are just like so beefy and when they do touch you you yeah. explode but like you know it was a draw and then i had one where i barely won by two points and so it's yeah. like i won the tournament that felt really good but uh you know by just barely by the you know hairs on my chinny chin chin so i clearly didn't break the format or anything so now it's like is this list any better than the other two really good yeah, lists yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. I had in my hands? Um, so I don't know. But so one yeah. last thing with the with our tournament, I wanted to point out the uh, Wu Fang clan. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Did. Let's let's go check him out. Um, he was Eric. Oh, go up, uh, Eric Octor, right there. Oh, went two and two. Yep. So Eric was the one that played Sylvaneth at Nova Open. Oh, Echo. Yeah, love yep. him. Yep. Okay. Echo. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So um, I didn't get a post-tournament like wrap-up from him. Yeah. Um, he liked the fact that they like to get in close and be really nasty. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, he said that the only ability that he pretty much ever used with these guys was um, Onslaught. 
Yeah. To yeah, give him course. the bonus attack action, right? Because the they only have two attacks. Each yeah, attack exactly. does so much. Yep. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I only use Onslaught pretty much with them. Um, he seemed to like them okay. Um, he loved the aesthetic compared to other Soul Blight Grave Lords, right? He's like, these aren't like the super long, flowy vampire hair for some reason, yep. you know? And um, he had them pretty well painted. And um, yeah, so I didn't get a full report. Like you'll have to ask him in the Discord, like what he like thought overall. But um, he went two and two, right? And I think that's probably where he figured they would. This is straight out of the box, uh, except for the Vampire Lord. I think Just he added cut that two one guys, in. replace them with a Vampire Lord, and yep. then it's straight out of the box. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, I don't know that he had enough models for some of the things that he needed. You know, like. When we yeah. have an, a six objective thing, he's only got eight models, and they're not super beefy that they can each stand on objective and hold it. You know. Yeah, that was actually our experience. I played Avery, who uh, was playing Astrogan, um, True Blades, and we played on Tides of Battle, which is one of those objective missions. And mm -hmm. uh, he was in this odd situation where you do have a couple guys who can crack stormcast armor um the exemplar has strength six mm -hmm. um but you also are in some tight spots where against annihilators it's like if i stand one of the uh range two annihilators on an objective if you want to take it from me you have to bring two vampires over yeah and and are you going to like win that fight without losing a vampire or two, well, you know, or it's even like, two. Like, yeah. Like, are you really going to win that fight? And so, um, and so his exemplar like really dominated the board, but just couldn't be in enough places Yeah, because the exemplar legitimately can crack the armor because he's got strength six. As long as he doesn't fight the shields, he's, yeah. he's actually really terrible against the range one annihilators, but against the like, range two annihilators against my dwarf ally against my leader he's really good um but he just couldn't be in enough places at once and he only outnumbered me by one so yeah. that's not a great place to be on an objective mission where right yeah outnumbering is good but then it's like <laughs> you still have to be able to kill them over the course of the game yeah he kind of reminds me of like the wither lord in, in um in that, like, with the um, Rottmeyer Creed. Uh, oh, yeah, you were really like, impressed with their leader, weren't you? Yeah, and he's kind of like the big bad that can go around, but he can't be everywhere at once, right? Yeah, yeah. So so you need something else with them to, yeah, to make that yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, the, the other list, uh, we don't really have to go through. There's another Soul Blight Gravelord. There's a Cave Squig heavy one. Um, my cousin Lincoln, he brought Stormcast Eternals, but this was like his first real tournament and he was learning Warcry list building. And okay. so he kind of did a, he kind of pulled a little bit off of like my list that I had with uh, two protectors um, and a prosecutor, yep. but, and a, and a Lord Relictor. And he likes the Lord Relictor for the same reasons I do, where like, you know, you roll two ups or whatever, and you're doing like one point of damage and, Yep. You know, for the value of the ability, which is good to put some damage on there. If you like Lord Relictors, man, wait till you play with a Knight Arcanum. You're going to love oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so then he decided to bring in a Raptor Prime Long Strike Crossbow. Sure. Now, I tried to warn him off of it. I said, Lincoln, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Shooting isn't that good here. Um, and he plays Stormcast Eternals in AOS, and he's come up with like a really, really good list in AOS. And one of and part of it has these long strikes. So I think he fell in love with the models and sure. thinking like it would translate a little bit like they're so good there. Why wouldn't they be good here? Right. Yeah. And at the end, he's like, they are so dang swingy because they only get one attack. Gotta you roll know? the crit. You gotta roll yep. the crit or and else. You have to roll yeah. the crit. And he he ended up doing onslaught and rolled two crits and like oh, shot wow. something off. And he's like, Oh, that's amazing. But it took me four games to be able to do it, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so he's like, Yeah, I think I'm not gonna do that. His chameleon skink um wasn't a bad objective capture. Like oh, yeah, he would sneak in, like when people had to leave objectives to like come deal with him, like he would sneak that skink in and snag that objective from them. Uh-huh. You know, so um, but I think if he goes with a different fighter other than the Raptor Prime, um, he'll have other point other points that he won't use that chameleon skink. Also. Yeah, I even wonder if just like another prosecutor um yeah. would be pretty yeah. good there. Yeah, yeah. So or if you're gonna play a Raptor Prime, I think you wanna pair it with like a uh, a Lumineth High Sentinel. Or a KO guy for fight for profit, like yeah. something to get him extra attacks. Um, yeah, yeah. So all of these lists, I think, um, you know, between yours, between ours, I'm excited to see what it's going to do at Adepticon. You know, what people are going to bring. I think that you know we we started this segment by talking about how you know lists were very um, uh, very local. And I think that um, we're going to see how that mashes together when we get to Adepticon, you know. So yeah. um, I'm excited uh, to, I, see, to see where we go there. And real quick, I do want to shout out one okay. uh, small eight-player tournament in Texas that went on over the weekend, too. Uh, we didn't get all the lists into BCP, so we can't really go over it. But it was won by Ogre Maw Tribes. Um, with a gut lord and at least two yetis i think and then a bunch of noblars and stuff um so i don't know jason i don't know if you've played yetis yet in uh in 2.0 but um i thought that was cool to hear yeah i have i love yetis i think gut lords and two yetis could be a strong list for sure their movement's great and they're a little less squishy than a gorger for sure the gorgers are good but uh, they're a little, they're they're more cheap. They're the gorgers a little cheaper, but they get a little squishy and they hit a little harder. Sure. So I think Yetis are a good compromise there if you can spare the points for sure. Yeah, I wish yeah. I had the exact list, but I but I don't. But still, really cool and great job, them. Yeah. Well, we are planning to uh, broadcast from Adepticon. I don't know if you are too, Dan. Doing a wrap up there. Yeah, I won't have anything live. Um, but yeah. I do hope to get at least one video out while I'm there. Yeah. 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 So we'll, um, we're planning to bring some of our equipment that we can, uh, that we can uh, broadcast from there. I don't know. We might be, we might do it as a live stream, but we might just do a quick recording that we can then upload. Um, but uh, before we go, what faction is your predicted winner? What do you think, Jason? Oh, um, I don't, I don't know, man. Because every term I played in, it's been a different faction at the top. <laughs> okay, all right, or like a, or like a comp. Well, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Dan? I guess I, guess I would. Idea. I guess I would say a. Um, I think gets. 
I think a good strong gets list. Okay. All right. Destruction. I guess you could say destruction soup. Yeah, with yeah. the gets base. With the I gets think it'll be a destruction. Gets booyah base. Base list. That I think it'll be a destruction base list at the top. Yeah. Okay. okay. What about you, Dan? What do you think? Uh, I wanted to say Nurgle, but I just can't quite figure them out post Chimera nerf. So I'm gonna say Ko. Oh, Ko. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Sounds I was gonna good. say that too, but that's just because of who won our last tournament. Yeah. yeah, I think it's going to be a bone splitters list, and the guy's a handsome <laughs> devil that's going to do yeah. it. <laughs> no, um, I think it's going to be a gets list as well. Um, I think it's going to be gets plus orcs plus you know, rocket tragas plus like whatever you know, the classic destruction soup that yeah. you yeah. know, yeah, has always seems to win here. Once a month, we have a tournament that gets won by gets. That's yeah, and they haven't and I think, won this I, month yet. I think it's because it's got its, you know, you got its movement and its heavy hitters that you can import pretty yeah. easily, right? Yep. So, um, and and lots of cheap, cheap chaff that you can then fill in the ranks. So, it's got that. But who knows? You know what? We could see a, a you know what? I'm going to change mine. I'm going to say it's going to be a Stormcast Eternals, uh, Thunderstrike oh. specifically. I'm going to say Thunderstrike specifically. <laughs> So, Thanks. Well, now yeah. I have to bring my Thunderstrike. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and the handsome devil who pilots it, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thank you, everybody. I know All this right. was kind of a long show, but we, we were able to talk about a lot of fun stuff, and we um, appreciate you listening to us. If you've got, like, we talked about tournament craft, we talk about lists, we talk about, you know, missions, like when to use missions, like all these types of things. If you guys have comments about this, Dan's got his Discord. We've got the Warcry Discord. We've got our Tabletop and Beyond Discord. Hit us up. Let us know. Like we just want to spur conversation and kind of get get stuff going. Also, let us know if you're going to Adepticon because we'd love to. You know, hopefully we're all going to be playing together. But if you were there playing other games, let us know because we'd love to meet up and say hi and introduce ourselves and give each other high fives and tell each other how awesome we all are. Um, those are our favorite things to do. So. You know, um, just let us know because we we will definitely be there over Adepticon. So um, in the meantime, uh, thank you, Dan and Jason, for coming on the show. Uh, Pleasure as always. And to everybody else, keep the dice rolling.